listening to First Church Charlotte. We are the friendliest church in town, and we're proud of that, and we want to make sure we have everyone here today uh, feel right at home and comfortable with us. Uh, I won't embarrass them, but we have three first-time visitors here today. Uh, I won't call you out. But these are, all three of them are Prosper U parents, and they brought their kids to Sunday school this morning and came over here with us. So thank you guys for worshiping with us, and it's an honor to come together with other people of faith and take a little bit of time out of our week and glorify the name of the Lord together. Amen? Amen. And so we are going to do that together. It is my privilege, as always, to bring the word of the Lord and to preach it and teach it uh, to all of you today. And so I'm going to read, I'm going to read one passage of scripture actually from the book of Romans and I am going to use it as an introduction to my to my uh, subject today. I'm reading in Romans 8 chapter number 15. I'm going to read in the King James, the original King James. Uh, translation for ye have not received yes let's all stand together it's our church habit and I don't want us to get confused as to uh, what our church habit is so Romans 8 and 15 for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry Abba Father somebody say Abba Father with me Abba Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Spirit of adoption bears witness with our spirit, and we have unity. We have agreement together, and this is our unity. This is our agreement. We are children of God. It's not just God telling you that he has adopted you. And it's not just the act of your faith saying, I'm the child of God. But there is spiritual agreement together that we are the sons and daughters of God. You know why I love that? Because I always remember that scripture, wherever two or three are gathered touching on anything. So uh, even if you're all by yourself, you can have agreement on this truth. God says, that's my, you're my child and you cry, Abba, Father. You see, you don't need anybody else to agree with you on this because the spirit and the bride (laughs) say, come. God is inviting, God is speaking his half of this covenant of spiritual adoption. You are the son and daughter of God. Before you're seated, turn to somebody, smile real big and say, you're my cousin. So I don't know if you grew up with ornery, older siblings like I did, 
but I, I had particularly demonic older siblings, and um, just, just having fun. I love them very much. They are both of them involved in ministry. Uh, my sister and her husband, Pastor Pentecostals of Greensboro, uh, some of our kids are there right there now for the school year, and they have a great church there to attend. My brother pastors in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and he is down in the middle of storm season. So we had one scare. They have a scare every year. We have one every 10 or 20 years. But my siblings were uh, are deeply involved in ministry. And as older siblings often do, they, they would love to tease me. And my brother, my brother was worse than my sister. Uh, he really enjoyed teasing me. I don't know how it happened. I, I, if I remember correctly, I had an uncle and aunt who visited uh, North Carolina when I was, I was maybe 10, 11, that age. And my brother would have been uh, 15, 16, that age. And uh, cousins came two boys that were my brother's age, one a little older, one a little younger, and together they proceeded to tell me that I was an adopted kid. Uh, they proceeded to tell me uh, that I was not uh, in the family I had been adopted, and uh, I, I didn't really believe them because I know a passel of ignorance when it beats me over the head, neck, and shoulders, uh, but they invented this whole tell about how I had been born in a helicopter. Now, I don't know why. I don't understand the significance of being born in a helicopter. Uh, but for some reason, I, in my mind, I had this idea that my real, if they were true, which I didn't believe, my real mother had been in the wilderness or something and was having a baby. And so they sent a helicopter in there for her, but it was too late and I was birthed in a helicopter. And I didn't really believe them, but they enjoyed telling me this. And what I wish I would have done is this is when they were mean to me and they said, uh, you were adopted, I should have said back to them, well, at least I was wanted. <laughs> That's settling in a slow burn, a slow burn. Uh, you probably had older siblings who teased you too. Uh, we probably have some people here today who was adopted. I, I think there's a special a special gift that happens when a family adopts someone. I, I, I honor it. I love it. Uh, those of you who are involved in that, we have some parents that are involved in some of the children's homes in the uh, region, and uh, they either take in children for a while or they uh, formally adopt children, depending on how that works out. I have a special respect for that. I think it's beautiful because we are all of us adopted sons and daughters here today. It is it is something in which we all have this commonality. We are all of us adopted sons and daughters of, of God. And we want to, in like manner, we want to celebrate our gathering into the family. And we want to celebrate other people's gathering into, into the family. Um, if none of us have first rights, then we should have an open heart to whosoever the will the Lord would call into fellowship with his family. I'm excited for everyone that is born into the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a church, we rejoice with everyone who is born into the family of God. Uh, if you're sitting by somebody, slap them real quick, say, I'm glad you're here. 
Um, I'm honored to have everybody in this house. Now, uh, I'm preaching today from this subject, identity theft, identity theft. Now, why am I talking about identity theft here today? It is a quite modern problem. Identity theft is this, uh, ever since the rise of credit, Uh, your identity became very important because if someone steals your identity, they can take your credit and they can go have a great party on your credit. How many of you have ever had a credit card stolen or a credit card number stolen? Um, I think most people have had something like that happen. I I think at least a half dozen times I've either had a business credit card, uh, a personal credit card, or even a A few times, church credit cards where someone got the number and they would begin to make these grandiose purchases. In almost every case, one time, there's been three times that they've gone to Best Buy and bought as many electronics as they could uh, because they they can sell those on the street for cash. And most of the people doing it are, um, they need cash, not another electronics thing. And so uh, I've had that happen several times. I've also had checks forged, company checks forged. And uh, found out we were doing a project and it happened, if I remember right, it happened in uh, Georgia. We were doing a project and uh, somebody had got one of my employees' checks and they, they forged company checks and they went and gave themselves a paycheck. And so I got a call from the fraud department uh, saying, um, do you, have you ever written a, a, a check? Have you, do you know who this person is? And my first response, well, is if, if there's a check I don't know about it and my wife didn't write it, then it's fraudulent. Now, there's a very high probability <laughs> that my wife would write a check I did not know about. Uh, can all my gentlemen say amen? But uh, I didn't even know these people. And so uh, if you have your identity stolen, what happens is people will use your credit. Now, let me just real quick say this. Um, there's different levels of identity theft. The, the most common one is for them to steal your credit in the form of a credit card number. That's the easiest to fix. Usually, you don't even even have to pay anything out of your pocket. The insurance that you pay for as part of your account uh, will usually cover that, or the bank itself will will cover that. Um, but that said, uh, if you continually have problems with this, the bank is going to start thinking you are the person stealing your own credit. Um, much worse than that is when someone steals your identity. They actually have your they actually have your identity, not just your credit. And if they can get your social security number, um, if they can get, if they can get your ID, then they can create a whole identity off your ID. I, I, I never forget one time I bought, had bought a new phone and the same day I bought a new phone, my phone, the phone rang and the number was blocked and I, I answered it and they said, yes, we're so-and-so uh, with the phone company and we uh, need to finish setting up your phone. And so um, I said, okay, they asked me my name. Then they asked me my driver's license number and I was getting sketchy when they wanted to know my driver's license number. And, um, but finally I relented and gave him my driver's license number and they said, all right, the last thing we need is your social security number. I said, you are smoking crack. That was my exact words, which is not a spiritual saying to say, but I, at that moment, I buy a phone and you tell me you need my social security number. No, you are a crackhead. That's what's going on with you. And the guy got mad at me. Don't talk to me like that. I'm just doing my job. I said, no, you're not doing your job. I I don't know what you're doing, but there is no reason you need my social security number. If they have your driver's license number, so public service announcement, if anybody ever calls 
calls you and asks for your social security number, do not give them your social security number. That is not how businesses that are operating correctly get your social security number. You will always do social security on a form that you sign your name to. It will not be over the phone. See, I just saved you some heartache and trouble right there. If they get your driver's license number and your social security number, they can really, really, really mess you up. Now they can apply for credit lines in your name. They haven't just stole one credit line. They can apply for credit lines in your name. And once that happens, it is a nightmare. So modern problem, bad people steal your identity and do bad things with it. Now, this is not exactly what happens on a spiritual level, but even in a spiritual level and in a spiritual realm, there is this issue of your enemy wanting to steal your identity. The difference is not so much that he wants to use your identity to do bad things. He wants to use your identity to take your identity to keep you from doing good things. Let me say that again. He's not wanting to take your identity to do bad things. He's already doing bad things. He wants to take your identity so you won't do good things. If you don't realize who you are in God, you will walk with a hesitancy in your step. You will walk with a cautiousness. You will walk with almost a fear. Uh, You won't feel like God's really on your side. You will serve God in duty and not in joy. You will serve God in obligation and not in thanksgiving. You will serve God in law and not in spirit. And you will have the obligations as a servant or even a slave. You will not have the joy of a friend or even a son and daughter. But if you begin to understand how much God wants to be close with you, how much God wants to be your friend, how much God wants to walk with you, if you will begin begin to understand how much he desires to commune with you. He said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Can you imagine God in your life knocking on the door saying, do you have any time for us to share together? Do you have any time for us to fellowship together? Do you have any desire in your heart to know me? I want to show you how God wanted things to be. I want to take you all the way back to the Garden of Gethsemane where there was man and woman created and God said it was very good and I want to show you the kind of relationship they had. The Lord did not show up every morning with a list of tasks for Adam and Eve to do. He did not send them uh, kind of uh, orders for the day on what to do. He showed up in the cool of the evening in order that he might walk with them, that he might commune with them. God is not interested in you being simply an obedient servant. There is room and proper place for obedience, but there's so much more than just an attitude of what I've got to do for God. The joy of serving Him comes when you begin to have in your spirit the desire to know Him, a desire to spend time with Him, a desire to walk with Him. And this passion is not just shown In the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve, 
but it is shown with all those who will follow after the call of God because even after the fall of humanity, the Lord was looking for those who would walk with him. And so when they found a righteous Seth, he was walking with God. And when the Lord caught away those closest to him, the Bible says he was not for God took him. And you see not simply the, the mysteries and the, the, the majestic uh, patriarchs of the pre-flood, but even after the flood, you find, or before, right at the time of the flood, you find Moses, and the Bible said he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And, and even beyond Moses, you get to Abraham, and Abraham is willing to respond to a voice that calls to him and invites him to walk this way. It's almost as though the Lord says to Abraham, would you leave this comfort zone you're living in and would you begin to walk with me? Would you, would you let me show you a path you have never seen? Would you let me show you a, a city that's not built with human hands but whose builder and maker is God? And the astonishing thing that had revolutionized my personal walk with God when I understood it is when a- Abraham began the journey of looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. The city had not even been built yet. The city did not even exist yet. There was no city whose builder and maker was God. Indeed, there would be no city whose builder and maker was God until the Lord prepared a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem in whom the sun never set. There was no need for the moon or the star. In fact, that's the city that the Lord Jesus said, I have, I go to prepare a place for you. Hasn't even been built yet. That where I am there, you might be also. What are you saying, Abraham? I'm willing to pursue you, God. I'm willing to follow after you, God. Hear me, I don't care how long you've been serving the Lord. It is not the will of God for you to serve in duty. It's not the will of God for you to serve in adherence to a law or some system of obligatory guilt. You need to discover the joy of his salvation. You need to rediscover the joy of his presence. You need to walk with him in a passionate divine love where Whereby you desire him above everything. When the children of Israel all fall out, whatever, Old Testament, New Testament, when they turn their devotion to God into a system, the moment it becomes a system, they begin to rely on that system while their hearts are far from God. Hear me today. This is for all you guys who've been serving God for a long time like me. We've been serving God many, many years. We're so powerful when we walk, our feet don't even touch the ground. We just float around kind of like Darth Vader with our coats dragging out behind it's amazing Uh, we're so strong and so hear me hear me the moment you get a system there's a temptation for you to rely upon a system and not pursue the presence of God in your life it doesn't matter how many years I've been preaching I need to pursue the presence of God in my life it doesn't matter how many times I've spoken in tongues uh, with the sign the sign of God's presence in my life Uh, hear me I need to pursue the presence of God Uh, you need to pursue the presence of God I'm glad for your systems. I'm glad for your formulas. I'm glad for your obligations. I'm glad for your work. It's good work and it's unto the Lord. But hear me, that's not how we know him in our 
our spirit. We know him in devotion and love and presence. And God, I desire you. And so we see in the scripture this reality that we are through faith and through adoption the sons of God. I want to show you how the Apostle Paul said this. And this is uh, one of those concepts that once you you start seeing this way, uh, it really helps you to understand how you can claim sonship, divine sonship, or being a daughter of the Lord. This is 1 Corinthians 15 and 10. And this is Paul. Uh, writing to the church at Corinth, which was a quite troubled church, one of the most troubled churches uh, in that first century. And he said this in chapter number 15 and verse number 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I want all of you to practice saying that with me right now. By the grace of God, I am what I am. How many of you are imperfect? Go ahead and raise your hand. I got to raise both hands on that one. Um, How many of you are imperfect? Okay, here's the deal. I want you to say this with me. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Sometimes I get depressed. Sometimes I get down on myself. Sometimes I, I suck my thumb a little bit too much and feel sorry for myself. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, here's the thing. What I am needs to agree with what God says I am because there is unity of purpose and apostolic calling. When what I am agrees with what God says I am. So Paul says in this first letter to the church at Corinth, here by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. Now let me read this in another translation. I'm going to use the modern message translation because it's written to include the feel of casual vernacular, which if you can read the Greek Bible, you can see that, but when when you put it in the English, it reads very formally. That was the whole point of the messenger translation. So to be clear, I would be very careful not to do theology, not to work systematic theology with a, uh, a modern vernacular translation. Uh, but for devotion, I think modern vernacular translations are very powerful and very helpful for us to understand the intent and the feel of the scripture. I'm going to read the same passage in the messenger translation. But because God was so gracious, so very generous... Here I am, and I'm not about to let his grace go to waste. Now, when you put that modern vernacular translation in your personal devotion, you now have a prayer subject that you can turn into a doxology of praise and worship. There's a good ecclesiastical word for you. You can create a whole moment of praise and worship to God. And that becomes a whole set of worship and praise to God. God, you've been so generous to me. God, you've been so gracious to me. Where I am right now is only because of you. I'm not where I need to be. They're not where I would like to be. But God, every step of progress I've made is because of you. And because you've shown yourself so generous to me, and because you've shown yourself so gracious to me, I'm not going to let your grace go to waste. I'm going to walk and speak and preach and pray and worship. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to exalt his name. 
Hear me today. Paul will say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. You see, your imperfections are uh, ever before you. That's how David described it in the psalm. He said, my sins, Psalm 51, my sins are ever before me. Uh, That's a rather poetic way of saying this. I want to start over. I want to be a better person, but I'm aware of how I failed. And sometimes I am more aware of my failures than I am what I am striving for. My sins are ever before me and I don't feel worthy. Uh, It astonishes me how much I talk to people who struggle to forgive themselves. Uh, Some of you guys I've spent time on the phone or in meetings with as I listen to you tell me how you struggle to forgive yourself and you just struggle to see. Maybe you were raised with a very harsh sense of of God and, and you very much perceived him as the the Lord of the law and judgment, but you didn't perceive him as Abba Father or Papa God. <laughs> you perceived him as a, you, and, and that's, that's not all bad. There can be good there, but that's just one side of two tensioned truths. So many biblical truths are given to us in tension. It's not just law and it's not just grace, but there is this divine tension that exists. It's not just judgment. It's not just mercy. There is this tension whereby we are brought into a state of godliness, a state of knowing God, because you can't understand the whole story by only looking at grace. Why do you think we have the Old Testament? It's an example. It's a schoolmaster to us. You can't understand what Christ accomplished if you don't understand what the law taught. You don't understand what the law demanded. It's like the old poet wrote in the John Bunyan uh, uh, story, uh, run, John, run. The law demands, but it gives me no feet. It gives me no hands, but the gospel comes and bids me fly, but the gospel gives me wings to fly through the sky. That's the idea of the law. You don't understand the victory of Calvary if you just skip over the Old Testament. That's why we see this, this, this truth, this moment, this, this challenge of, of the scripture. We have a passion in our hearts to know God. We have the reality of our errors and our sins. And we begin to wonder how God could forgive us and how God could love us and how God could invest in us. And we struggle because although the spirit of adoption that we read about in the book of Romans chapter number 8, the spirit of adoption whispers to us that we are the sons and daughters of God in our guilt and in our pain and in our sorrow. We don't have witness in our spirit that will speak agreement to the spirit of adoption. Oh man, if I could preach, you guys would be swinging off the lights. This is what I want you to see right now. Why do they call it a capital S spirit of adoption? The same passage, I'm going to give you a little bit of Bible study here today. Hopefully you can take it into your life. Paul says a spirit of bondage and a spirit of adoption all in the same verse. Let me read it again for clarity very quickly here. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, 
small s, human spirit of bondage, again to fear, but ye have received the spirit, capital S, God's spirit, Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Papa, Father, Abba, Father. Abba is the Greek affection, like Papa or Daddy. Abba, Father, and the spirit itself beareth witness, beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Mm, mm, mm. Hear me today. So, what do you mean spirit of adoption? Okay, so uh, we know biblically God is a spirit. Can I have an amen? We know that. We understand that the created hosts of heaven, the council of God, very quickly, another little Bible study here. Us preachers most often will say whole counsel of God, and what we mean is the whole doctrine of God. Uh, we, mis- un- we misuse it because we're preaching and we're fired up, and we say, we're going to declare the whole counsel of God, and, and what we're meaning is the whole doctrine. We're going to preach the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help us God. That is not the use of counsel in the Scripture. Counsel is all the created host of heaven, all of the beings of God's eternal creation. John speaks of them in the revelation, the elders, the four and twenty elders, the saints that have gone to, as they will say in the Old Testament, particularly the the bosom of Abraham, the cloud of witnesses who look over, as it were, the banister of glory and call encouragement to all of you and all of the beings, the angels, the archangels, those created beings of God. That is the whole counsel of God. That's the first understanding understanding. Also, in the Old Testament, the attributes of God, his essence, his nature, his personality traits will often be presented in the form of spirit. Now, that does not make God a a, a multitude of different entities. It is a manner of rhetorical speech. There's only one God, and he is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? And we are complete in him. There's only one God. In the Gospels, to for clarity, they refer to him as the Father in creation, the Son in redemption, and the Holy Spirit in regeneration. I go away. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. It's all God. We got any one God people around here? Just like the Jews. We're one God people. And so... When we say spirit, capital S, spirit of adoption, we're not talking about another entity running around heaven that we call adoption. What we are saying is there is something fundamental about who God is. That he wants you not to be a stranger, but he made you. He fashioned you in your mother's womb, and he knows the hairs on your head. And there is something in his heart that he wants you to know you are his child. You're not just a nobody running around. We're not talking about a separate entity, a separate spirit. We're talking about something that is essential to God. It is who he is. When you have kids, you start noticing kids. Now, before you had kids, you didn't notice kids. 
particularly you men. Some of you uh, girls grew up babysitting, and so you developed a little bit of appreciated for kids, and you're like, oh, they're cute. But then you have your own kids, and then when your kids start growing up, you start getting nostalgic about little kids. When I see a little baby now, I just want to steal him, at least until he has a dirty diaper. I want to steal that little baby. I just want to, they're just so awesome, man. You just can, you can just hold them and smell them, and then when they look at you, I mean, if they're just a little old guy, and they're just, or a little old girl, and you just love them. After you your kids grow up, you just love them babies. You're just like, oh, that baby's so, I, I, people won't even give me babies anymore because, you know, you, they're like worried I'm going to kiss them or something. It's just, they haven't even had their shots yet. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I love those babies. But before I had babies, I didn't know how precious that moment could be until I sat by the fire and laid on the couch and let my little baby go to sleep lying on my chest, smelling all clean and fresh. And now I'm like a grandparent. I'm like, oh, I just love the I stinking so cute. I just, mm. Okay. Can you see God as a grandparent? If you have cute little kids, older people will stop you everywhere you go. Hear me? I'm giving you something good here. Older people will stop you everywhere they go. And they would be like, oh, you are so beautiful. What is your name? The older you get, the more you appreciate what has, flo- what has flowed through your life, through your hands. You had it. They grew up. And now you want them to have kids. Because you want to... Why do you think your parents always want you to have grandkids? They were never that happy about you. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Now, if you're a teenager, don't be having kids, okay? You understand what I'm saying? This is the right way to do everything. But I'm just saying... Have you ever been around grandparents who love kids? It's just like they're hovering, hoping a kid will come by. They just love kids. Could you see some element of God's heart... Where he just wants you to sit down with him and your spirit say, Father. And his spirit say, you're my child. You see, if you know who you are in God, you will understand just how rich you are. If you understand who you are in God, if you understand how much God loves you, hear me, it will revolutionize how you come to church. It will change your life from simply kind of a set of duties or a set of personal devotional obligations or, or just kind of a, a set of expectations. If I don't, if I miss another Sunday, Pastor Nathan's going to check on me and I'm going to have to explain why I haven't been there for two weeks. More than any of that, you will have a sense that God wants to know you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to speak your name and you speak his name. He wants to be close to you. I I want you to see this. Identity changes everything. Identity changes everything. When you are a son or a daughter of God, you speak in a different way. You praise in a different way. You worship in a different way. You glorify God in a different way. You have been revolutionary by adoption. 
Oh, hallelujah. I'm almost done. Stay with me a couple minutes more. Paul is saying, I am that I am. Whatever I am, I am. The Lord is wanting you to know that you are his. It's like the person who said, looking heavenward, I am yours and you are mine. What is that? That is the spirit of adoption, not the spirit of bondage. Oh, I've got to do good or God's going to get me. That's the law that killeth, not the spirit that giveth life. Hear me today. That's not simply a, a, a way of being. That is the way God wants you to be. God wants you to live with that sense. I am a child of God. Uh, you know, when children ask for money, uh, they don't ask you if you love them, uh, unless they've been coached in that particular manner of getting money out of you. Um, if, if, if they, my, You know what? If, if your kids need money, particularly if they're teenagers, now before that, they don't have much of a sense of money. Uh, yesterday, my little girl was in a room, and we've been redoing a room and stuff, and um, uh, Charlotte came home, and she had some chains, and she didn't want to, she was trying to get it out of her purse, so she she gave it, she put it in Ellery's room, and she said, put that in your piggy bank, and she kept right on going, and so I come by a few minutes later, and Ellery's sitting there on the floor, and she has all this chain spread around her, and, and she said, Daddy, my room makes so much money. <laughs> I said, your room makes money? She said, yeah, it's just, there's just, this room has lots of money all the time. I thought to myself, you know, in 10 years, you're going to say, my daddy has so much money. And it's not going to be the room. It's going to be like, daddy, I need uh, $20 to go to McDonald's. $20 to go to McDonald's? That doesn't make any sense. Uh, So here, here we have this sense of sonship. I am yours and you are mine. Most of us don't live that way. Most of us are more comfortable around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil than we are around the tree of life. You see, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not the only tree that was in the garden. But if you live around that, you will transgress that and you will realize that there is no hope or salvation for you except through grace. If you live around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you define your relationship with God in terms of what you can and cannot do. It's no surprise that hell will trip you up. There's a better way to live. Don't always live over in the attitude of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I have to do this. I have to do this. No, no, no. Walk across the garden of spiritual relationship and wrap your arms around the tree of life and say, you, I am yours. You are mine. It's a complete different way of living. As a pastor, I want to create a preaching culture where we, we, are, we found ourselves in the tree of life, yeah. not simply the tree of death, because that is the difference in our walk with God. The Spirit brings us to life, and the law kills us. I want to put this in your devotion. I'm not trying to suggest that you should not live righteous. You absolutely should should live righteous, but that becomes a response to what God has done for you, not an achievement whereby God owes you. 
Do you see what I'm saying? If you live at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, everything you do for God becomes a sense of personal achievement. And now, what you demand of God, unspokenly of course, but you deserve, you demand of God, it's almost, Paul calls it like spiritual usury, where you owe me the interest of my good works. That is the wrong way to live. God loved me when I was yet a sinner. And so it is my honor to serve him. It's my honor to walk righteous and have a testimony. It's my honor to live godly. It's my honor to have a good example that others might see my good works and glorify my Father which is in heaven. That it is surprisingly hard for some people who they have one mode of serving the Lord, particularly if they were raised in a a, a very harsh manner. Uh, I wasn't raised in a harsh manner. I was raised uh, with a lot of grace. And the most important gift that we give to younger people, hear me, all of my elders, the most important gift you give to people in your life is when you give them grace. Freely you have received, now freely give. We are, as Paul said, administrators of God's grace. And if we create a culture with the younger people in our life where we're always giving them rebuke, it's no surprise when they grow to some point of spiritual maturity and they think that's the only way to do it right. You've got to rebuke, rebuke, rebuke. I want you to know there's a better way to live. There is a spirit of bondage, yes, and uh, it leads us back to fear and leads us back to shame and leads us back to the paths that are flesh has trod. But there is more than just that spirit of fear. That's the human spirit of fear. There is also a spirit of adoption. There's some element of God's nature where he wants you to know that he is your father and you are his child. Paul knew who he was. Paul knew who he was. He didn't claim to be everything. He said, but by God's grace, I am what I am. I want you to see that when the prodigal child, uh, uh, musicians you can come I'm, I'm going to end soon. When the prodigal son is struggling with what to do with the mess he has made. Now the story of the prodigal son is a multi-level, multi-dimensional story that, it can, uh, that, that can apply to sin in the Garden of Eden. It can apply to the story of humanity's fall. It can apply in, in many different ways at many different levels. We most commonly apply it in the story of the backslider because that's the easiest way for us to understand it. What you think of it in a larger story of sin and grace, it, it gets more difficult for us, but all of us are familiar with the feeling of, uh, of need within ourselves. I need to get back to God. I need to get back to knowing God. I need to get back to personal prayer. Can I have an amen? amen. I need to get back to having some quiet time during my commute and expressing my soul to God and letting that part of me whisper heavenward and say, I am yours. I am your child. And know through divine confirmation that his spirit speaks to your spirit and tells you these two agree together. I am a child of God. Uh, There is this moment in the story of the prodigal son he's he's lived foolishly he's lived his whole life very foolishly and now 
he literally goes broke having spent all he had in riotous living. If anybody's living riotously, let this be your biblical moment where you know uh, there is going to be a price to be paid and it's going to come back on you eventually. Can I have an amen? He's living riotously. And what he does is he ends up basically as a keeper of the hogs, but because of the difficulty and because of the harsh taskmaster in his life, he not only is not paid anything, uh, he's not paid enough to meet his own needs. And he, as a result, has to eat what the pigs are eating And he thinks to himself, you know, even a servant in my father's house lives better than this. And so what does he say? He says, I'll give up my identity. I don't have to be a son. I'll just be a servant. I feel the presence of the Lord right now. Speak to our hearts, oh God. I don't have to be a son. I will let my identity be lost if you'll just give me enough to live on. His errors, his flaws, his sins have taken his identity from him. And he goes back home. And when he is approaching, his father sees him from afar. And the only time that the Lord is depicted in imagery, biblical imagery, as running is at this moment when God is running to his prodigal son, the father running to his prodigal son. And you know what he says? He says, Father, I know I've made a mess. If you'll just take me as a a servant, I'll lose my identity. The Lord says, no. I know who you are. (laughs) And you know who you are. You are not a servant. You are my son. And they throw a party. Now, the elder brother gets offended. I, I don't ever want to have the heart of the elder brother. I know you don't either. We don't want to have that style in our lives. We don't want to have a church culture like that. We don't want to have parties for how good of sons we've been. We want to have parties that the Lord throws. And those parties are this. People who think they don't deserve to be sons and daughters of God are ushered into the presence of the Lord. spirit that says I want to be your child and there's something in the nature of God that says I want to be your papa I want to be your father that's what Abba in the Greek is it's a it's a term of endearment like papa or daddy Abba that's what little Greek Boys and girls call their dad or their grandfather Abba. There is something in their spirit. They want to be God's child. And there's something in God. He wants them to be his child. And these two agree. And people who thought they would never be a son of God. They never thought they could be a daughter of God. There is agreement in this. They want God 
and God wants them and they become the sons and daughters of God. And when you have that in your life, you can claim the promises of God like a son, like a daughter. You can believe for healing like a son, like a daughter. You can rejoice in the promises of God like a son or like a daughter. Don't let the enemy steal your identity, but rather let your spirit agree with his spirit and cry with all the saints of all the ages, Father, let's all stand. Lord, I pray for everybody here today. I pray your anointing would touch every life. People that perhaps are are in some way too far away from you, Lord, I pray you would draw them near. I pray they would feel the pull of your love. We know scripturally that you Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.